all here this morning. We get to dig into God's Word. We get to learn a little bit more. Let's see what Paul has to say to us about who we are in Christ, who God is, what it means to be a Christian. That's really where our focus is going to be is, um, if you notice, the title of my message is Gospel Identity. What is our identity as Christians, as God's people? So, so again, as, as usual, as we're reading through Scripture, Paul is writing to believers, not unbelievers. And so this message is focused towards those who have faith, those who believe, those who are Christians. What does it mean to be a Christian? What is our identity as Christians? Who are we? In other words, what are our identification papers? And so if there's unbelievers who are hearing this or anybody who's an unbeliever in our life and they hear these words, they're not going to fully grasp and understand because there's assumptions already being made by Paul that what they are hearing, they understand because they've already been taught because they already believe. And so he uses all these phrases um, about being in Christ and baptized into Christ and there's an assumption they get it. They already understand what all of that means to be put on Christ, to belong to Christ. And so if you're a believer today, my hope is that as we walk away from here, that we would grasp what does it mean who we are? What are these four identity markers um, is what I'm calling them. What do they mean for us as believers? How should my life be affected? What I think, what I say, how I act, how should how should those things be affected by the reality of who I am as God's, as God's child? And so we're going to work, work through this, four of them. The first identity marker. Every true Christian, and I say true Christian because today people can claim to be a Christian, but they don't believe the Bible. <laughs> that's, that's not how that, that works. If you're a true Christian... If you're a true Christian, you will believe what God's Word says. Now, we may not fully grasp and understand exactly what it says, but it is the foundation of what we believe. So every true Christian is in Christ. What does it mean to be in Christ or to have faith in Christ, as some, some translations put it? It's a belief in Christ. Yes, we've talked about that. To have faith in Christ is to believe in Christ, but it's so much more than just belief. The words of Jesus in John 15, he speaks about the vine and the branches. So if you've got your Bible, turn to John 15. I'm just going to read two verses. John chapter 15, verses 4 and 5. This is a, if you've, if you've been in church, if you've been here, um, I've read this passage. In fact, we went over that a number of, uh, it's the whole book of John a number of years ago. But in John chapter 15, verses 4 and 5, Jesus says this, Abide in me, he's speaking to his disciples, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. It might be a little bit more helpful to change the illustration up because I don't know many grape growers. 
in our congregation. Um, I'm sh- if you're a grape grower, let me know. I'd like to have some grapes. And, and yeah, anyway, I'm not going to go that direction. If, if, I, if we were to cut off a branch off of a tree, okay, that's probably a better illustration, right? Because we all trim our, the, the branches off trees. They get too low. They're getting into the house. You cut the branch off. What will happen to that branch when I cut it off from the trunk of that tree and I just let it lie on the ground? What will happen to that branch? It'll die. It withers up, right? It just, and you'll be like, well, what if a seed falls? Or what if the root? No, the branch is dead. We're not talking about the seeds. We're talking about the branch itself. It withers away and it dies. No leaves are going to grow on it anymore. No seed is going to grow from it anymore. It will cease to be a productive part of the tree unless it's attached in such a way to the trunk of that tree that it receives the nutrients needed to be fruitful. So in other words, it has to be grafted in. Like you have to be very purposeful. Once you cut it off, you have to graft it a certain way. If you just let it lie, it dies. And so that branch must abide in the tree. And apart from it, the branch can do nothing. Apart from the tree, it just lies there and it dies. And so it is with us as Christians. Christ is the trunk and the Christian is the branch. And unless the Christian is attached to Christ in such a way that we receive the nutrients, the truth and the power and the wisdom and the discernment and the correction and the discipline and the peace and the joy of Christ himself, we will be unfruitful and we will be unproductive for the kingdom of God. We wither away and we die. To be in Christ then is to be attached to and to be reliant upon Christ in such a way for our whole life and for all of our ability to be in Christ through faith is to be wholly devoted to him, attached to him, reliant upon him completely for our breath each morning, for the food that's on our table, to survive another day. We need to be fully reliant upon him wholly willing for him to grab a hold of and rule over every aspect of our lives, encouraging us and changing us and transforming us as his people, as Christians, to meet his own will and desires, not our own will and desires. A friend of mine in college would, in his, in his mind and in his actions, He'd waver back and forth between knowing and doubting if he, was in, if he was in Christ. In moments of confidence, he would be like the super disciplined Christian. Always getting up at 4.30 a.m. and reading for four hours. I mean, just like he just went super disciplined. But in moments of doubt, he would live as if there was no God at all. Paul does not want the churches of Galatia to do that to teeter-totter between confidence of being in Christ and doubt of being in Christ. Yes, the churches have allowed and many have held to the works of the law for their justification. That's why he writes this letter to these churches. But Paul wants them to know that their salvation is already accomplished through faith. 
not works. For in Christ Jesus, you were all sons of God through faith, he says. He doesn't say some of you or most of you. All of you churches in Galatia, if you have faith, all of you are sons and daughters of God if you have faith in Christ. If we are in Christ, we are adopted into God's family as a full-fledged, 100% pure child of God. The second identity marker. Every true Christian is baptized into Christ. And we're a good Baptist church, right? So the question has to arise. Does he mean baptized by water that we can hold against other denominations? Or does he, he's talking about baptism in the Holy Spirit, which we can hold against other denominations, right? We got to know, what does he mean? Water baptism or Holy Spirit baptism? Well, let's take a quick look at both of them. This is not a thorough understanding, okay? This is like people have written giant books on both of those issues, okay? So we're going to do a, a quick summary. In the Bible... The normal practice after uh, the Christian uh, in Christ believes through faith is to be baptized. This is, after all, what Christ commanded in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, right? Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's water baptism, okay? So what does water uh, baptism by water do? Well, first, baptism doesn't save. We don't hold to that. Even as a good, solid Baptist church, because we're a good, solid Baptist church, baptism doesn't save. It cannot ever justify us or make us right in the eyes of God. That is only done through faith. It's not done by works, no matter how ceremonial it is. Water baptism is a sign and a seal of the Christian's being in Christ. It is a confirmation of their faith in Christ, that they abide in Christ, that they are attached to Christ. It's a sign and seal of what they've already, has already been accomplished by Christ. Our death to sin and to ourselves, that's when you go under the water, and being made alive to God in Christ, coming out of the water. It's a proclamation to everyone who is watching, I am a son of God. I am a daughter of God, which is why we take it so seriously. We don't just baptize anybody. There's a process. There's an interview. There's questions. We want to make sure, as a church, are you truly a Christian? Do you really, truly abide in Christ. Not just say that you do, but do you abide in Christ? We take it seriously because it is a proclamation. Baptism is a proclamation to everyone watching. I am a child of God, and I want you to see, and I want you who are watching me be baptized to understand who I am, and I want you to hold me accountable to living out my status as a child of God. To be baptized into Christ with water is to publicly proclaim, I am a child of God. What about baptism of the Holy Spirit? Well, the Bible records, really famous, well-known incident, right? Upper room, the disciples after Christ's death and resurrection in Acts. 
in the book of Acts, um, the Holy Spirit fills them, and they were given the ability to speak in a foreign language so that they could speak the gospel message in the native tongues of those who've gathered in Jerusalem from all over the world. There are also other places in Scripture where an individual or a group believed and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They didn't speak in foreign languages, but they received the Spirit nonetheless. So the Christians being baptized into Christ by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and it happens to every Christian, is a sign and a seal of what has already been accomplished by Christ, our adoption as sons and daughters of God. So whether Paul is pointed to baptism by water or baptism by the Holy Spirit, the meaning is the same. Every true Christian is baptized into Christ, proclaiming their adoption by God as his full child. So what's the third identity marker? Right? We've got every true Christian is in Christ. Every true Christian is baptized into Christ. And then he says every true Christian has put on Christ. About 20 years ago, um, I went on a seven-day hike on the Appalachian Trail. Anybody ever hiked the Appalachian Trail? Oh, awesome. I feel so special now. Okay, it's a seven-day hike. And you would think, okay, I, I grew, I don't say I grew up, I grew up going to the, the Rocky Mountains. And then you go, oh, the Appalachian Mountains, ha, <laughs> whatever, right? Because they look different. Yeah, hike them, and then we'll have a conversation. They are mountains, and it is difficult, and it is tiring, and it's wearisome. And about halfway through the hike, it began to rain. And it didn't stop. But luckily, I had prepared for it. I pulled out my rain jacket, and I put it on, and my entire upper body remained dry through the rest of the storm. If I had only thrown it over my shoulder while I was hiking or carried it in my hand while I was hiking, it would have done nothing for me. What's the point other than just extra weight? It wouldn't have covered me the way that it should have, and I would have been soaking wet the rest of the day. So to put on Christ is to be clothed in Christ, just like you put on a jacket. It's to be covered in Christ, not a partial covering. Like my rain jacket covered just the top of me. From my, my hips down, I was soaking wet. Putting on Christ doesn't do that. It is a complete and utter covering of the Christian. When the Christian is made a child of God through faith in Christ, they are completely clothed by Christ. There's no part of the Christian's life that is not covered. There's no part of the Christian's life that is not identified as Christ. Which brings up the fourth identity marker. Every true Christian belongs to Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19, verses 19 and 20, Paul says this, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. In, in the context of that, he's, he's saying flee sexual immorality. Live the life that you are called to live with your body. But 
the meaning for us is the same. Today, those who are made children of God through faith in Christ belong to Christ. He paid the price of his life to redeem us from the wrath of God for our sins. He bought us, and so we belong to him. We are not our own. It is not isolated simply to our body or our mind or our words. It is all of us. Why do we put name tags on things? It declares to everyone that the owner of this item is me and no one else. This is mine. And that's what Christ does to us. The Christian belongs to Christ. His name is all over us. And if we belong to him, then we are heirs, Paul says, according to the promise given to Abraham. The blessings that he gave to Abraham, Abraham now were applied to us as adopted children. Now in ancient times, an adopted son could not expect to receive any inheritance upon his father's death. But that's not how it works with God. As Gentiles, as Gentiles, the Galatian churches were outside the covenant family of God, the Jews, until Christ came. And then they weren't just adopted into the family, but they were made full heirs, equal to the Jews as children of God. So the Galatians didn't need to do works of the law to become like Jews. Christ already accomplished their adoption through their faith. And Jews and Gentiles equally receive the inheritance of blessing and everlasting life with God. That was countercultural in Paul's time. Samaritans, Jews, Gentiles, there was massive separation. And we read only a few weeks ago of how Peter separated himself from the Gentiles when the Jews came. It was all there. And Paul says, no, no, that you don't belong to the Gentiles. You belong to Christ. You don't belong to the Jews. You belong to Christ. You don't belong to the Samaritans. You belong to Christ. We all receive the inheritance of Abraham equally as full heirs of God. This is why Paul says in verse 28, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. As Christians, our identity is found in Christ alone. We are one body, with many members, with differing gifts, all under the head of Christ. We belong to him alone. We identify with him alone. We just happen to attend Elm Creek. We just happen to live in Minnesota. We just happen to live in America. If our identity is in Christ then every other identity we hold is secondary. And remember, that doesn't mean it's, it's not important. We said that last week. But it's secondary. 
to our identity found in Christ. I am not a father. I am a Christian father. I am not a husband. I am a Christian husband. I am not a pastor. I am a Christian pastor. I am not a Minnesotan. I am a Minnesotan. I am a Christian who lives in Minnesota. I am not an American. I am a Christian who lives in America. Every identity that I have is secondary to my identity in Christ. Do we think of ourselves this way? If I belong to Christ, then every other identity we hold is secondary. If I belong to Christ, then everything that I am belongs to him. So there's no part of my life that is not clothed in Christ. I can't compartmentalize my life as if these areas of my life are Christ, but these areas are mine. And I've had lots of conversations through the years with people who go, when I'm at church, yeah, I love church, but you know, when I go hang out with my buddies, I go ahead and get drunk every once in a while. What's the big deal? That's how we want to live our life. It's, that's how we want to live our life. Like, God, you can have this part, but I don't want you to have this part. God, when I'm at church, I will listen, I'll read the Bible, I'll even pray and sing songs of worship. But when I go to school, then I'm going to act a different way because, you know, my friends are acting that way or I have peer pressure or whatever it may be. But this is school. It's not church. So God, you don't have school. You don't have work. You don't have my home, God. But I'll give you church. I'll give you church. That is not what it means to be a Christian. We don't have that luxury as Christians. God's not going to ask us when we get into heaven and say, well, what were you like at church? I really don't care what your life was like outside of church. I just want to know what your life is like in church. No, God's going to say, were you living for me in every aspect of your life? When I pointed this sin out to you when you were at school or when you were at work, did you change that or did you make an excuse that, ah, God, you've got church, but this is mine. We will be judged for that. We will be held accountable for that. We don't have the luxury of compartmentalizing our life. God owns all of us. He didn't die for us only at church and then didn't have to die for us when we walk out of this building. He didn't die for us only when we attend Bible studies. He died for us even when we're not attending Bible studies or reading his word. He owns all of us, not just part of us. So if our identity is in Christ, then every other identity we hold is secondary. If I belong to Christ, then everything that I am belongs to him. And our world, our society is making every attempt to divide. But as the church, we must remain united, not under the categories that the unbelieving world places on the table, but the only category that defines all other categories, being a child of God. Paul is not calling the churches in Galatia and in turn not calling us to completely disregard our culture as unimportant. God created culture. We usually screw up culture because we're sinful, but culture is good 
but my culture does not define me as his child. How else, if we didn't have culture or we ignored culture or we said, ah, culture's not important, how else would those churches in Galatia be able to speak the gospel message in a way to those around them that they would understand? But the the culture does not define God's people. Our culture does not define Christianity. God defines Christianity. God defines me as his son, you as his son or his daughter. We are one people from many cultures under one head, Jesus Christ. Now, that sounds like really, oh, I'm trying to think of the word, um, idealistic, right? Oh, Mark, you're just such an idealist. God. You're so ignorant. And that's so cute, Mark, right? I'm not saying this. God is saying it. And if Paul is saying this to the churches in Galatia, The reality is the world that we live in right now is not that much different than when Paul was around. It's the same problem, just dressed up in a different clothing. It's not idealism. It's Christianity. It's the church. And the realization that, man, we fail at doing this, don't we? We get so caught up in ourselves and our own desires that we forget this. We create divisions. Let's, again, let's go small. Like, what, 20 years ago, man, I wish we could have had that. The worship wars. You guys remember the worship wars in churches? Like, man, I, I just long for those days right now. I would love to have a worship war. And it's so much more and so much. It's the same problem, just dressed differently. We create divisions in the church, not based off of our being found in Christ, but whether or not I like drums or I like the organ. We create those divisions ourselves. And we forget what's really important. We are one people from many cultures with many different opinions, with many different preferences. But we are under one head, Jesus Christ, and we will all be held accountable for the same thing. The church that forgets, the church that forgets this is the church that will fail in preaching the one category that really matters, the gospel. What do we need? What do we really need as as God's people? What does this world really need? There's a lot, of, a lot of needs that the world has, right? And there's a lot of needs that we have, but ultimately what's the one need that if we do not have, we're lost. If we forget this one need, we get distracted and these secondaries, things start to become too important and override the one need that we have. The one thing, the one category that really matters in this world, the gospel message. Jesus came, he died on the cross, 
He died for the sins of those who would believe. He justified those who through faith believe and saves their souls from eternity in hell. May we as a church at Elm Creek, may we as the church, I should say, who just happens to gather under a building and we call ourselves Elm Creek Community Church, may we remain faithful to the preaching of the gospel. Not forgetting those secondary issues, but not forgetting and losing the primary issue. For what good is is it for one to gain the whole world and yet lose his soul? God, remind us as your people. God, you own us. We belong to you. We are in you as your people. We are covered and clothed in you as your people if we believe and we have faith. Father, as your church, as your people here as sons and daughters, whether we're 90 or we're five years old and everything in between, Father, as your people, may we be the light on the hill that proclaims the one thing that this world needs, the gospel your son, salvation. Help us not to ignore and to let go and to belittle those secondary categories and those secondary issues. But Father, never to lose sight of your gospel. Father, open our eyes, open our, to our own hearts and our own minds to who we are as as a church, the ministries that we do, the things that we say. No matter what people say, no matter what this world screams and cries out about us, Father, let them say this one thing. Boy, those people sure love Christ and they will never stop preaching what they believe. Help us to do that, God, because we cannot do it on our own. The temptation is too great our own desires and our own flesh and our own will cry out for these things. Help us never to lose sight of you. We are yours, Father, and this is a dangerous prayer to ask, but use us in whatever way you want, even if it means taking our life, taking our lifestyle. Remove us, Father, if that brings you glory and your gospel is heard through it. Help us to give of ourselves, give up of ourselves and point everyone to you. Let that be true for us, Father. Help us as a church to stand strong on the gospel message, on you, on your truth, on your word, on your son. Let let us go to you, God, and let you determine who we are, not us and not this world. We ask this, we beg this of you, Father. Make this true in us. In your precious and holy name.
Amen.